America. On the words of Steve Irwin, the crocodile hunter, I aged mites. First of all, let me say that the first phase of this holiday season is past. So I think it's only apropos that we start today off by saying season's greetings. Or as Jason says all around the studio at Blaze, season's eatings. Now I trust that everyone had a good holiday and I trust that we all had our fill of whatever we chose to have been filled with. Turkey, chicken, ham, and I know some of y'all, you wanted chitterlings, hog maws, pig foots, and any other form of dead animal flesh that we as a people like to douse in hot sauce. Speaking of hot sauce, I think that is what could actually be wrong with some of these black quarterbacks in the NFL right now. I think they all done came down with the itis. That's why Lamar Jackson played so bad last night. See, he liked that good old down-home cooking. He likes that soul food. See, that's why last year against the Browns, he almost duked on himself in the game. Y'all know how it go. But look, here's what I'm saying. Out of the six quarterbacks in the NFL that started games last week, four of them lost. See, and we all witnessed Lamar, he almost sharded himself. Bottom line, I'm trying to tell you, the itis is real, y'all. Having said that, welcome to the show. Welcome to Fearless. I'm your thrill sergeant, Uncle Jimmy. And you know what you got to do. Hit the like button. Hit the subscribe button. Hit the transcribe button. Hey, man, give the big guy a five-star rating, okay? Listen, we got a great show planned for you all today. And first of all, we have the only real brother that lives in Idaho. And that's right, I'm talking about Dave Shannon. He's gonna be here to drop some knowledge regarding the events in Wisconsin. What's it called, Waukesha? Yeah, all right, he's gonna be dropping some knowledge about that. And the next guest, I'm gonna apologize in advance because Jason told me to stop cussing, but I can only describe her in one word. And that word would be, damn. Let me say welcome back to the show to the first lady of the Fearless Army. And of course, I'm speaking of Shamika, the real Michelle. All right, and she's gonna be in here today to talk about the new film, King Richard. And that's the new film starring Will Smith. In case some of you aren't really aware, it's a movie about how Will and Jada Smith put up their two ugly daughters for adoption, and they would later go on to put lifesavers in their hair and become tennis stars. I can't wait to see what Shamika's gonna have to say about this. But uh, anyway, you need to check it out. Uh, actually, I'm lying. I really don't care what she's got to say. I just really can't wait to see, Mashik, see Shamika. I'm not gonna lie. Fellas, and y'all know I'm telling the truth. We don't really listen to what she say. We just look at the TV like this when she come out. Okay, anyway. Also, we're gonna be heading overseas to our overseas affiliate, Steve Kim. He's gonna be here to talk about college football, and he's gonna be addressing the fact of, maybe I'm right, and maybe the NFL has caught up with the black quarterback. And now is the moment you've all been waiting for. So this is the moment that I like to say, release the doves, release the hounds. I need everybody in the comment section to repeat after me. Dilly dilly. He brags of the fact that he pays the cost to be the boss. Ah, but he wasn't saying that not too long ago when he was about to get his butt kicked by Randy Moss, was he? Hey, the man that's bigger than you could even imagine giving up for the big guy, Jason Whitlock. Happy Monday. Great job, Uncle Jimmy. Uh, let's get this party started. I'm excited about today's show. I'm excited about today's fire starter. Uh, let's get it rolling. Uh, Wisconsin U.S. Senators Tammy Baldwin, Democrat, and Ron Johnson, Republican, released a joint statement Saturday asking outside groups to stop exploiting 
the Waukesha massacre for political purposes. Writing, quote, it has come to our attention that outside individuals or groups may attempt to exploit the tragedy that occurred last Saturday in Waukesha for their own political purposes. As the U.S. senators representing Wisconsin, one from each political party, we are asking anyone considering such action to cease and desist, end quote. According to media reports, the statement was crafted because some conservative pundits blasted CNN, MSNBC, and other left-leaning media outlets for downplaying the story and or rapidly moving on from it. The bipartisan statement is as pointless as asking infamous bank robber John Dillinger to stop using a Colt 32 pistol. The style of gun didn't make Dillinger an unrepentant criminal. His immorality did. America's fight for political power has descended to a seemingly unprecedented level of immorality. Ambitious politicians quickly turn human tragedy into political capital. The Baldwin-Johnson statement is not only pointless, it's clueless. It epitomizes the kind of cowardly leadership pervasive within American politics. The statement is a virtue signal that pretends diplomacy is the antidote for wickedness, that peace is possible with people who have no regard for objective truth. Why should Waukesha be exempt from the political examination lens applied to everything else? Would ignoring the political implications of the alleged crimes of Darrell E. Brooks jumpstart the cleansing of American politics? I think just the opposite. Failing to fully publicly explore and explain what drove Brooks to commit mass murder would only allow the evil to further metastasize. Declining to contrast corporate media's handling of the Waukesha massacre to Charlottesville, January 6th, and the Rittenhouse trial provides unwarranted and unhealthy cover to the racist sowing American anarchy and division. The alleged sins and radicalization of Daryl Brooks must be scrutinized thoroughly, aggressively, and publicly. This isn't about settling the score between conservatives and liberals. It's about assessing the cost of mainstreaming and normalizing critical race theory and gangster rap culture across our primary communication and information platforms. Daryl Brooks appears to be a direct reflection of what the American zeitgeist, for those of you that don't know, that's the spirit of the time, the attitude of the time, says a black man should be angry, emotional, profane, violent, racist, and criminal. A racist would argue Brooks was born this way. A liberal would argue that poverty and anti-black racism molded Brooks into a monster. Having been born black and poor in America, I would argue that the zeitgeist has maintained a culture that rewards and baits black men to exhibit emotion, anger, violence, profanity, racism, and criminality. Corporate media, Hollywood, the music industry, and social media apps are the maintainers of this intentionally crippling culture. It's why left-leaning news platforms, Hollywood movies, commercial rap music, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook smear any black man who criticizes the self-destructive tenets of black culture as coons, Uncle Toms, and sellouts. Is there a particular political party in bed with CNN, MSNBC, The New York Times, Hollywood, the rap music industry, and big tech? Is there a particular political party that believes its ideology defines blackness? The Waukesha massacre needs to be politicized. The racist political strategy of the Democratic Party helped radicalize Daryl Brooks. The Democrats told black people a government check could replace the black father. The Democrats tell black people the matriarchy is better than the patriarchy. The Democrats tell black people to see themselves as perpetual victims to an irredeemably racist country 
rather than as conquerors of America's sins. The Democrats tell black people to abandon our religious beliefs in pursuit of political power. The Democrats convince black people that obedience to Barack Obama could do more for us than obedience to God. The Democrats tell us to treat skin color and sexual preference as idols more important than our identity in Christ. Daryl Brooks' social media posts read like a Black Lives Matter diary. He hated the police. He called for violence against white people. He praised Hitler. He bragged about being a pimp. As a rapper under the name Math Boy Fly, he promoted drug use and criminality. You ain't Democrat if you ain't Daryl Brooks. It makes sense for corporate media and the other gatekeepers of black culture to bury the Waukesha massacre. They want to avoid accountability for what they created. They can't explain why a black man mowing down and killing six white people in Waukesha is less sinister and racist than a white man killing one white woman in Charlottesville. They can't explain their outrage and animus towards Kyle Rittenhouse and indifference to Daryl Brooks. They can't explain immediately casting everyone involved with January 6th as a white supremacist while searching for additional proof of Brooks's bigotry. I get the reluctance of the gatekeepers to publicize or to politicize the Waukesha massacre. I understand Tammy Baldwin's motivation too. She's a Democrat. Her party's entire strategy is predicated on racial deception, hypocrisy, and division. Ron Johnson, he's a fool and a coward. Like most politicians, he's unwilling to stand on truth. Initially, he had no problem attacking the duplicity of the left as it related to Waukesha. He folded. He foolishly thinks there's value in making peace with people who believe men can get pregnant and men and women armed with flagpoles tried to overthrow the U.S. government. There will be no peace until truth is restored. That's the lesson from the Waukesha massacre, and we need to deal with it. We're going to uh, roll out to Idaho and bring in our main man, Dave Shannon, out there in Idaho. Dave Shannon, of course, one of the hosts of Cross Politics, uh, one of the smartest people on this show. Uh, Dave, uh, let me start here. What is your theory on why Tammy Baldwin and Ron Johnson are putting out a joint state? Hey, don't politicize this. Uh, nothing to see here. Let, let's just be respectful of the victims and let's don't talk about what actually happened here? Who radicalized? Who's responsible for radicalizing Daryl Brooks? Well, um, first of all, man, doggone what an opening, Jason. <laughs> um, the responsibility that would fall on them is what they're afraid of. And so they don't want anybody looking in too deep because then they're going to have to be the ones responsible. Jason, it was we just got done dealing with the whole Rittenhouse situation. And what happened with Rittenhouse, this cannot be overlooked, is in parallel to exactly what's happened with Daryl Brooks. We have a collapse of an institution in front of us, multiple institutions. We talked about this last time, all four institutions, family, the church, the, the uh, civil magistrate and uh, personal individual responsibility. And so with Rittenhouse, you have the institutions collapsing so that he has to come and defend and protect the things that are valuable to him. And then with Brooks, you have the institutional collapsing so that we have a mad criminal out on the streets mowing over people uh, and killing grandmas and, and aunties and children. And so what we're looking at is the absolute collapse of our, our God-given institutions and they're afraid that they might be on the hook at the end of the day for some of this that's happening. You know, uh, when you have a family, the church, the state, and the civil magistrate that collapse, you have to have somebody out there to protect your goods, right? That's what our police are there for. They weren't out there when, when, uh, when Kenosha was burning, right? Rittenhouse had to be out there. And then the civil magistrate that's supposed to keep guys like Brooks off of our streets 
failed us in such a way that now we have to have funerals. And so, of course, no one wants to talk about this because in one sense, the left is happy that these institutions are collapsing so that they can now come in and take them over and be in control of them. And these people who, you know, that are supporting this, um, they don't want you to look any deeper into this because then their their heads are going to be on the chopping block. Um, you know, Jason, we talked about this last time uh, I was here and we were talking about the family church and the state. Our families are responsible at some point for this, too. Our families have to be the ones who are raising our children to be the kind of citizens that we need in our culture. Right. The kind of citizens that grew up more like Kyle Rittenhouse who want to protect us and our goods and uh, protect people that we love. And then they also, when it starts to break down and we get guys like Daryl Brooks, the family is also the first flag that starts to warn the culture and say, hey, these kids are getting out of control. Who do I go to for help? And the first place that they go to is the church because the church reminds people how we're supposed to be. And then when the church can't handle this problem, then they need to let the people in the culture know, hey, there's a Daryl Brooks out there that since the age of 17 has had a criminal history, Jason, a massive criminal history. Um, and and when the church has done its job in warning the community and the culture, the civil magistrate is supposed to come in and say, what's what, what's happening here? We had a full collapse of all of that. The family failed. The church failed. The civil magistrates let this guy out. In 2006, this guy was had raped a 15-year-old girl. Why he's still alive, I don't understand. You don't get to rape little girls and take some of the most valuable, precious things away from them and still exist in our society. We value life too much. Jason, he was just and this is in the, this is the civil magistrate's responsibility at this point. He was just to last. I think last year, um, July 24th, he had taken a gun and fired the gun at his nephew in a vehicle. What is that attempted murder? And he was just out on bail for beating his baby mama and then running her over with the same vehicle that he just got done running over the people in Waukesha. Why has our institutions, our civil magistrate failed us so much? And one since Jason, we've almost, in not holding our civil magistrates responsible, have become incentivizing a type of culture that we don't want to see on our streets. Dave, you said something I got to respond to. I don't know if it was a misstatement or I want you to clarify. You said we value life too much. And that's we don't value life enough. Yeah, I'm sorry, I'm mistaken. I'm so, okay. Yeah. We don't value life enough. All right, because I was going. Who you lost me there for a second? And then so <laughs> no. I, I I hear you, and I hear you louder than perhaps. I heard you loud and clear on something that that I, I want to expound on in, in these the final minutes of our conversation, in yeah. terms of. Tammy Baldwin, Ron Johnson, and, and a system that is, is determined to have this criminal justice reform and, and get softer, more forgiving of crime, more sympathetic. And, and it's, I get the reaction because when you purposely, intentionally, uh, destabilize the whole family structure in America. You know that like, oh my God, we're gonna create bad people. You take away the family yep. and, and, and kids are gonna rot and you're gonna have a lot more rotten kids. And so it causes you to have sympathy and be like, whoa, boy, we, we, we gave them all a government check and told daddy to get out of the house. And man, look at this mess we've created. We have to be more forgiving. We must have bail reform. We must have lighter sentencing. And, and where, where it gets a little inconsistent and complicated for me is that we are becoming, as the society has become more just, because American society was unjust for a long time. Slavery, uh, women in a really diminished role, Jim Crow laws, the whole nine. And so you could really argue like America was unfair for a long time. But you could also argue America has gotten more and more fair and then the 1960s rolled around and we took all the laws off the book and we actually 
to the best of our government ability in terms of taking laws off the books, we made America more fair, but we're making, now we're in the process of making the criminal justice system more forgiving. And it seems like that as you make a society more fair, perhaps you should make the criminal justice system less forgiving because it's like, hey man, <laughs> this is, and, and I realize they have to deal with the fact that dismantling the family union, particularly in the black culture, does not make society more fair. It, it, that was a calculated decision that they need to deal with. And, and I guess yeah. I'm saying all this to say, this is the conversation they don't want us to have, is that there are consequences, serious consequences, to the 60 years we have of devaluing men, dismantling the American family, and you're going to have more Daryl Brooks, more Dylan Roofs, more chaos and anarchy in this society. And, and that's why I think why Ron Johnson initially was saying the right things, but then someone tapped him on the shoulder and said, hey man, all these politicians have been participating in the creation of the anarchy and chaos and destruction of family that we're all dealing with. Man, Jason, there's a couple things I want to get that you said is really good. One of them is, um, you know, when you dismantle the family, you don't stop having a father. Uh, you don't stop having a family. What you get is a different father from a different authority. And so what we get in the rampage of crime and criminality that we're seeing is not the, the necessarily the lack of fatherhood. We're seeing the type of father that has been educating the kids so that we get this type of drama in our streets. We get a government education. We get a government father. We get Uncle Joe, who becomes Daddy Joe Biden. We get that kind of fatherhood. And so what we're seeing in one sense is the fatherhood of government education running crazy in our streets. And so, again, so whether dismantling one sense in the family, absolutely, they're not completely destroying it. They're remaking it and giving it a whole new image from the father that they have. So what we see in the streets is the fatherhood of the state, which is not how it should be operating, which is why we get things like Daryl Brooks and what happened in Waukesha. Wisconsin. Um, you know, the other side of this is the criminality. It, it, even I saw some uh, videos of some people who are part of Black Lives Matter, Jason, who were talking about that the revolution has started inside of um, Waukesha because of what happened. Daryl Brooks was upset because of what happened with Rittenhouse. And and so there's no doubt that the racial components of this are influencing our judicial system. But the way that we push back and deal with this is not to then become racial too, but rather to just punish wickedness. You know, the, the, the civil magistrate really just has one, one to two jobs, and it's to punish wickedness and reward good. And so long as the civil magistrate is actually punishing wickedness, then what it does is drive fear into the hearts of wicked people so that they don't do things like what happened inside of Wisconsin. My fear isn't so much the racialization of everything, Jason. My fear is that we're going to forget the principles that actually pulled us out of those bad times in slavery, that pulled us out of how wicked some of the laws that we had were, when we remember those principles, remember that life is important and that it should be valued and that we should care about it uh, to the point that we punish people who take human life. When, when we, Jason, the, 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 the most disappointing thing to me with this thing right here in Kenosha, I'm not Kenosha, I'm sorry, um, Waukesha, uh, is that even if we do find Brooks guilty, Brooks is going to live in a jail cell that the victims of his crimes are going to, the remaining victims and the families are going to have to pay for his clothes, his roof over his head, his water, all of those things and for the rest of his life. And they won't ultimately get the kind of justice that they deserve in this man getting the death penalty. And so when our leaders, our top leaders are not punishing wickedness according to uh, the way that it was done, 
then what they do is cultivate an environment for it to continue to grow. That cultivation is going to ring a, a long, long message, a loud message out to all the BLM folks, out to all the rioters, out to all of the, our civil magistrates and leaders um, who are, are politicians that we're okay with this kind of stuff. And so if we get back to some of the basic first principles of value in human life, then all this other stuff falls into place, Jason. How our leaderships leaders are supposed to act, um, what they're going to allow to influence them. Yeah, we've had – look, we've had it bad, but there's certain things that have been an anchor that have pulled us to where we are now where things have gotten a lot better. But if we don't stick to those first principles, which is the value of human life, that's what got us here. You can't treat a black man like this because he's a human being. You can't treat a woman like this because she's a human being. But if we incentivize the kind of criminals that are okay, that we're okay with beating women, with killing folks by driving over the edge, then it, it, it's all gone. And it doesn't matter what we fix on this end. We've already lost the thing that has anchored us. And that's what I'm afraid of, Jason. That's what scares me. We're losing what it means to be human and value human life, which is the very thing that pulled us from the past to our current situation where things are so much better for us. I, I want to end asking you this question, Dave, because I'm not sure. Well, I know where I stand on the death penalty. I'm probably... I'm, I'm anti-death penalty because okay. I'm just like, well, hold on. What if you accidentally t kill someone who's innocent? And so therefore, I'm anti-death penalty. Uh, but I am also aware of the contradiction of we've got a society that's very comfortable killing a child inside the womb who's done nothing wrong and has had no chance at life. And then that same group of people that support that are very forgiving of people who have had a chance at life, have blown it and have been destructive in their life. And, and we're very sympathetic and oh my God, they didn't have parents, they didn't have this, they, didn't, they, didn't, they were born into poverty, blah, blah, blah. And so that contradiction does bother me, but you tell me why I'm wrong about the death penalty out of my fear of like, hey, what if you kill the wrong person who's innocent? Yeah, well, there's actually a system biblically that's set up for that. Not to be, um, it, I, the Bible requires us to actually have a death penalty. The Bible says that if you spill man's blood, by man's blood shall his blood be spilled. It, it actually requires eye for eye, tooth for tooth. It's actually a judicial system that if you take a man's life, the Bible requires that a life needs to be taken. And part of your blessing is that you are honoring human life by not allowing certain wickedness to permeate your land. So that's that's number one. Um, the Bible requires a death penalty. Now, as far as the, I, I get right now, I'm a part of a lot of groups that are for saving people who are wrongly convicted. We've not had a perfect judicial system, not at all. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't have one that still honors that. But the way that the Bible fixes getting it wrong is that the people who didn't do their due diligence the people who lied or in the testimony, the people who were not just in the convicting of another person's life, the judgment that those people um, get is the judgment that happened to the person who was killed. So if you are a false witness, you get the punishment of the person. And it's not just the it's not just in the death penalty, Jason. It's in everything. So if you're a false witness and someone is on trial for uh, murder and you falsify your testimony and that's found out, not only does that person go free. But you now are in line for the death penalty because you deserve the judgment that you lied to get that person convicted of. And so when we have that kind of judicious system and that type of, of response to liars, then we start self-correcting. But we don't we don't have those things yet. And we need to work closer towards that. But just because we um, don't have that doesn't mean that we don't work towards it. Right. So um, just because slavery was ending slavery seems impossible doesn't mean that we don't take the proper steps to get towards ending slavery. So, again, the, the God requires a death penalty and people don't get to lie about um, in court on a situation without receiving the judgment in which that the person who was on trial gets. And so those are two things that we need to be working towards. We remove the death penalty, Jason. And what happens is we start cultivating again. The people in Waukesha 
are going for the rest of their life. We're punishing them with having to pay for this man's livelihood after he took their child's life. I don't know what world that's just in. Who's going to pay for his lights? Who's going to pay for his potty? Who's going to pay for his clothes? Who's going to pay for his food and cable? We're going to pay for all that stuff. All we're doing and not offering the death penalty is being more, being more cruel to the individuals who are the victims of his crime. And we're not honoring God when we do it. Dave, thank you so much. I'm going to follow up on this topic uh, Wednesday with uh, Pastor Harrington and Pastor Walker. Uh, so uh, thank you uh, so much, Dave. Uh, we're going to keep it rolling. I want to tell you about uh, my good friends at Good Ranchers. Did you know the product of USA Tag that is, has been stolen by foreign countries? Other companies ship their meat in, process it there, and then label it like it originated in the USA. Because of these labeling laws that favor foreign imported meat, over 100,000 independent American farms and ranchers have closed since 2015. That's why with Good Ranchers, they source all of our meats from farms right here in the heartland. 100% of the time, you get 100% American farm-raised beef, chicken, and seafood. Good Ranchers is here to put America first at the dinner table and put the American rancher back on top. Go to goodranchers.com fearless right now and get 10 free bistro fillets when you subscribe. In addition, you'll save $25 off each subscription box of mouthwatering American meats for life. That's right, get 10 free bistro fillets. That's $119 in value. Free express shipping and $25 off your monthly subscription for life at goodranchers.com fearless. Get the best deal of the year by visiting goodranchers.com fearless or using the promo code fearless at checkout. Support Good Ranchers. They support me, you, and our point of view and our way of life here in America. All right, stick around. Shamok Show, Shamika Michelle. Next. All right, welcome back. Uh, listen, I asked Shamika uh, this weekend to watch the King Richard movie. If you guys follow my social media feeds, uh, I started tweeting about uh, King Richard, the movie about Serena and Venus Williams' dad, Richard Williams, and their rise, their early part of their rise as tennis stars. I saw it, I believe, Thanksgiving day or night and started tweeting about it. It's the best movie I've seen and again, these are different styles of movies, but I thought The Joker was an excellent movie, and it was probably the last movie that I thought, well, like, man, that was a great movie. This is a great movie. And I, got, I was a little bit hesitant uh, initially to watch it because I thought it was going to frame up Serena and Williams early part of their career as like, oh my God, they had to overcome all this racism and it was just gonna be a story about every little racial slight that they experienced. And instead, it was a movie about a dad and a mom that had a plan and a commitment to their kids and raised them in Compton, California at the heart of gang violence with a, a clear vision and just a, a, a commitment that was unbelievable. And did they produce great results? I'm not kidding. For me, almost for the first 15 minutes of the movie from then on, I was almost at the point of tears because I was so astonished, scene after scene after scene, like, I was like, oh my God, they finally are making movies for someone like me again. And I was so proud and it, it helped me understand Serena and Venus. I, during their playing careers, I always struggled like, man, 
you know, they take too much time off. They're not obsessed with tennis and what. And you watch this movie and you go, oh, my God, that's because that's the way they were raised. Their father had this grander, bigger vision than just throwing them onto a tennis court and making as much money as he could. He wanted them to be well-rounded human beings and the mom as well. That my only complaint with the movie was it should have been called King Richard and Queen Orensine. Orensine, I think, is the mom's name. Because this was a combination effort between two parents that produced incredible results. And the results weren't just Venus and Serena as, as tennis players. I think the mom, when, they, when her and Richard got married, already had three kids. Those three kids seemed to be amazing and uh, seemed to have done great things as well. This is the best sports movie I believe I've ever seen. Replaces Brian's song as my favorite sports movie of all time. Uh, and so I asked uh, Shamika to watch it because I want a female perspective to see, because you know the, the movie has taken some heat. Uh, some, of the, some people in the feminist crowd uh, felt like it's too much about Richard Williams and it should have been more about Serena or Venus and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, uh, Shamika, what did you think of King Richard? Uh, first, Jason, can I please address Uncle Jimmy? I would like to yeah. tell him I appreciate him coming to attention because any man who can't come to attention for me would be dishonorably discharged. So I want to thank him. As for the movie, <laughs> as for the movie, I absolutely loved it. I was crying at the end. And I have to disagree with you on one point, Jason. I don't think it needed the mother's name added to it because she did what she was supposed to do, which was be a help me to uh, assist, support, fulfill, and satisfy. So I was pleased with it being called King Richard. I think I loved more than the movie, the fact that his daughters felt like they wanted him to be portrayed and seen to the world that way. I thought that was amazing the way they honored him. And I, I think it spoke volumes about the man that he was to them. You make an excellent point, Serena. In that was the other thing. I've always favored Venus over Serena. I, I've, Serena is occasionally too political, too immature for my taste, uh, has done some things that I, I've disagreed with. But I got to say, all, absolutely every bit of previous criticism has gone out the window in terms of, of, of Serena Williams and Venus Williams in terms for them to do, to honor their father in this way with this type of movie. And, and everybody that's been a parent, everybody that's been a child knows that parents make mistakes and that parenting isn't perfect. But they kept their eyes on the prize and the overall narrative about what he did, what he accomplished, the sacrifices he made. And, and the movie did show the guy was flawed. Uh, he certainly seemed like he was a player. Uh, and, and, you know, but they kept their eyes on the prize. And that's the way I, I look at my parents, my father in particular, but my mother as well. The mistakes just go out the window because I, I got to look at the overall package of what they did for me and and for them, because I, I guarantee you there was pressure on Venus and Serena to lean more into Richard's flaws or to add some kind of over the top racial di dynamic to, to make the movie more mainstream or modern or fit the woke culture that we got going on today. And they just made a movie about their father. And, and I, I mean, in some of his sayings, you know, those that uh, fail to plan, plan to fail, and just the way he didn't accept any excuses. And it was like when they did, when, when the one father tried to cheat Venus on a ball, out, just move on, whoop her ass on the next serve. That's the mentality that I just think it's a very important movie 
and and I just couldn't be more pleased with Venus and Serena. Yeah, I think it also spoke volumes to the fact that it makes a difference when a father is in the home. I've seen one of his other children from the previous marriage who said he left them behind and they ended up in poverty and turned to a life of crime. So I think that it speaks volumes, the difference that a father can make inside the home, that he was able to divorce from this woman, go on to marry this other woman, have these two biological kids that he stuck around for and they are now Venus and Serena, Serena Williams as we know them and so I think that it speaks volumes about how important fathers are in the home and how important men are and how they should be honored and if they have the opportunity to do right by their children a lot of times they will and look what happens you know someone sent me a, um, a video of Michael Jackson saying how Joe Jackson was very strict and they asked me what I thought about it and I said, I'm sure Joe made mistakes. You know, parents, we do that. We aren't perfect. But I truly believe that there would be no Jackson 5 without Joe Jackson. Michael Jackson would not have been what we know him to to have been. No Janet Jackson. I think that Joe Jackson played a very important role as a father in their lives. And look how successful they became. So I just think that th this movie spoke just very highly of Richard. And I could appreciate it. There were some women who complained because it said King Richard, you know, Amanda Seals, who is a very vocal actress who gets on my last nerve, had a problem with it being called King Richard and having so much to do uh, about what he did for them. But I think that that's the way it should be. And I honor Venus and Serena. And I think it was one other sister maybe that participated as a producer. I honor them for actually showing their father in that light. Uh, Shamika, I love the hair. I, 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 Thank you. I actually, yeah, the Afro is my favorite look for you. Uh, glad you broke it out for us today. I'll pass along your message to Uncle Jimmy. Uh, Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. All right, uh, we got a new sponsor and a new friend that I've been dying to tell you guys about. Uh, it's Sweatblock. Uh, Sweatblock, you may all be thinking, what's Jason Whitlock talking about this sweat thing or talking about hygiene or whatever. But uh, as Corey, Chris, Uncle Jimmy can tell you, uh, over the past three weeks in the studio, I had him turn the temperature up because I used to keep it at around 68 degrees and because I was afraid of sweating. And I was afraid of sweating through my jackets, uh, breaking out of sweat on my forehead, any of that. I don't have to worry about any of that anymore because I use sweat block. The last thing I need is, you know, to be all pitted out up here uh, and, and looking like a fool. And I've seen people on television that look like a fool, that sweat under their armpits, sweat on their brow. I've done it before, but not with Sweatblock. <laughs> Sweatblock is stronger than the normal antiperspirant, and more importantly, it's far more effective. They have the dry shirt guarantee. If Sweatblock doesn't keep you dry, you get your money back. Not only is that not only is Sweatblock doctor recommended, but it's made right here in the USA. If you or someone you love is dealing with this issue, you have to check out Sweatblock. Get it today for 20% off at sweatblock.com with the promo code fearless. That's sweatblock.com. Use the promo code fearless. Tell them Jason Whitlock sent you. It's cured his little sweating issues. Sometimes in a studio when I'm here under the bright lights, it's helped me if you're out trying to give a very important speech, you got an important date. You ever go out on a date? Get that little sweat on your brow, you're eating, you're drinking, you get that little sweat on your brow, you're like, oh, I wonder if she's looking at that sweat on my face. Can she tell I'm nervous? Do I look like a fool? Not if you use sweat block. Use the promo code FEARLESS at sweatblock.com. All right, the Korean Cosell, next. All right, time for the Korean Cosell. 
and to dive into a weekend of sports that was pretty fascinating. The most fascinating thing I thought I saw uh, was the implosion, the very predictable implosion of Cam Newton. I'm not remotely surprised. Cam Newton learned nothing from getting cut by the New England Patriots. Absolutely not. And I, I wish I had been stronger on this last week, Steve, when he came out, I'm back. And every celebration <laughs> was Cam, Cam, Cam. He, he, it wasn't a celebration of his team or his teammates. It's and then this week I saw Cam in the pregame intro because he's finally playing at home. His smoke all around. There's some song about and it's just all Cam. And I'm just, he's a wide receiver. He's an outside linebacker. And I'm talking about mentality-wise. Yeah. His, it's all me, me, me. He's not a quarterback. He's not a leader. He's too emotional. The, the quarterback position doesn't allow you to be that emotional. That's why I'm not shocked. Four interceptions this week. Uh, a, got benched. A terrible performance. He learned nothing. I'm the dude should have, when he got cut, he should have cut his hair and said, I'm coming out with a new approach. He came back out like it was 2014 all over again, and it's all about Cam. It's a joke. I'm not surprised it blew up in his face. Your thoughts? Uh, Jason, first of all, I hope you had a great Thanksgiving weekend. You know, the, the Panthers quarterback situation went from Sam to Cam to damn. That is bad. But here's the thing. <laughs> what did we think we were getting? We're not going to party like it's 2015. You know, I did a deep dive into to Cam Newton's statistical record here. And, and again, stats don't tell the whole story with his style of quarterback. But keep this in mind. He's had one 4,000-yard passing season in an era when the average is now about 4,300. That was his rookie year. He's only had four years of completion percentage at 60-plus or higher in an era when many quarterbacks are now 65. He's only had one year of 30-plus touchdown passes. 2015, his MVP, where he reached his apex, it was 35. This is what we are getting, and now I just read over Twitter that Christian McCaffrey, who is the heartbeat of that offense, who everything plays off of, and you could do stuff like the RPO, you can do the read option, now that's gone because he's the bell cow and cam is at that stage. It kind of reminds me of Roy Jones as a boxer at his prime. He was so athletically gifted with speed instincts and reflexes that he could make technical mistakes because he was not a classic boxer, but he made it work. Once those reflexes dulled just this much, it changed his whole game, made him much more vulnerable. Cam is no longer that athlete. He was six, seven years ago. So the question I asked to you is, Jay, even though you're only a half game out or so in the wild card race, do you just turn it over to P.J. Walker and say, you know what, let's just play for a high draft choice? You turn it over to P.J. Walker because P.J. Walker allows it to be about the team. And Cam Newton yeah. turns everything into it's about Cam Newton. It's what's he wearing. It's what's his hairstyle. Yeah. It's what's his intro is going to be. It's I, I'm just – his celebrations last week, not this past week, but the week before, when, when he was, I'm t the whole I'm back, I was like, my God, man, <laughs> you've act like nothing has changed. And you, you haven't figured out yet that the quarterback just isn't that guy. You can't carry yourself like a wide receiver and everything about you and nothing. At one point, I think last week, he ran out to midfield and threw his the football <laughs> down or whatever. I'm just like, yeah, this dude is yeah. Terrell Owens, man. This yeah, is not. I, look, I was a Cam Newton fan, not to the level of you, Jason, about five years ago, but when he did the T.O. and he said, I love me some me, I'm like, okay. Okay, and the one thing about a quarterback, I've always said, in any major college city or college town or pro franchise, that quarterback is probably more recognizable than the mayor. 
That's how much importance they have in American culture. However, that comes with responsibility is that you have to be, in essence, the corporate face of the franchise, which means that in Super Bowl week, you cannot be beast mode, Marshawn Lynch. You actually have to do interviews. You have to be Captain Cliche. You have to say all the right things. You have to act in a certain manner. Cam has always thought that he could be above that. Remember this, Jason, when he came out of the draft, he told some teams, hey, I want to be an icon. And that was his way of saying, I want to be great, but I want to be bigger than the game and the team, which is fine. That's a lofty aspiration, but you actually have to play at an Aaron Rodgers level. And this is a declining player. That That's the reality of it. And with the erosion of athleticism, half his effectiveness is now gone. So uh, it seems to me now the Panthers, without Christian McCaffrey for the rest of the year, uh, they seem to be in purgatory. I don't. Did I say Cam threw four interceptions? Because Lamar is actually who Lamar threw the four did. interceptions. Cam, th- yeah, Cam threw completed five of nineteen passes. Oh. He wishes he had found four different defensive backs. <laughs> His completion percentage would have been higher. Cam threw two interceptions, uh, but Lamar Jackson last night threw mm. four. The Ravens still won. Oh. They beat the Cleveland Browns. I'm, I'm, I'm not. I can't, I'm not concerned about Lamar Jackson because I think he takes the game seriously. I think he takes his team seriously. I think he's got the right attitude. I'm, I'm not concerned, are you? I am to a little bit, uh, a certain degree, because of what's around him. The best thing you could say about Lamar Jackson yesterday that, well, he wasn't Baker Mayfield. But the last three <laughs> games that he's played, he's had seven interceptions. And this was stunning. He has 15 passing touchdowns and 12 interceptions. That's not very good. And I've been told this by people that really analyze football, that look at the All-22, and they actually know the game from a three-dimensional standpoint. They all tell me, Steve, basically when a new offense comes out or you have an outlier or a new system, at that level, you get about a year and a half to two years of really being a step ahead of the defense, then at a certain point, the league catches up to you and they know how to scheme you. Now, look, Cleveland's front four led by Clowney um, and Miles Garrett, look, they're not, they're not going to face that much talent all the time, but they were excellent in rushing but also containing. What I'm noticing is schematically, most defenses now have a built-in uh, spy at the second level. Now, look, Lamar will still make plays with his legs, but it just looks very helter-skelter. And Mark Andrews is an excellent player. But most great quarterbacks, their number one option usually is not the tight end. And I've said this to you for a couple of months, Jason. You look at the Ravens receiving core. They have a lot of twos and threes. They don't have a, a particular number one. And just kind of jogging my memory a little bit, I think he had about 32 passing attempts yesterday and he didn't even have close to 200 yards. That That is not an efficient pass game. And I don't know how sustainable that is at the high levels. <sighs> yeah. Uh, there, the 15 and 12, whew, that, that does kind of frighten me. Mm-hmm. 15 mm-hmm. TDs, 12 interceptions. And just a couple of weeks ago, people were, and I was one of them, thought Lamar was a leading candidate for the MVP. That is no longer the case. Uh, Steve, I wish we had more time to talk about Brady Hoke and how oh, the what, San Diego what? State oh, Aztecs oh, oh. are 11 and one and playing in a conference championship game. Brady, I know you wanted to talk about what Brady Hoke uh, oh. is doing at San Diego State and how Michigan made a mistake, turn away from a guy oh. that could lead a program like this to 11 wins at a national oh. ranking and playing in the Mountain West uh, championship game. I know that's what you wanted to talk about, but probably don't have time to get to Brady Hoke. Uh, Jay, let me just tell you something. First of all, congratulations to the Aztecs. Okay, but Jay, right around 1245 Pacific time on Saturday, oh, I was going to call Corey and Chris and say, get Jason on a Zoom. I want to do a special show called <laughs> Hail to the Victors and Hail Jim Harbaugh. You know what? You know that look that Stephen A. Smith gets when the Cowboys lose and he's just licking his lips, waiting for Michael Irvin after a Cowboy loss? Oh, that's me with you, Jay. Jay, Jay I, what? Okay, I want to say this right now, though, but he has to win Saturday to get to the playoffs. And I want to make a prediction. If they get to the playoffs, I think they'll be in the finals. I actually think this is a very good team. But give Jim Harbaugh credit. He 
put together a masterful game plan with his two coordinators, Josh Gaddis, running the power spread. And here's the interesting thing. Cade McNamara played an excellent game. He only had 19 attempts, didn't even have 175 yards passing. But they controlled the game up front. And Hassan, the horse Haskins, he channeled his inner Ty Wheatley, Timmy Biakabatuka, Jamie Morris, Butch Woolfork. He became a legend. And that team is physical. And Aiden Hutchinson should get Heisman consideration. I don't think there's been a real dominant offensive player. The two best players I've seen this year week to week, Jordan Davis of Georgia, who's leading historically good defense, and Hutchinson outside. But, Jay, you're a Michigan guy. You're a Michigan fan. You follow this. Wouldn't you say this victory on Saturday is maybe one of the top five program victories in the history of Michigan football and certainly their biggest win since the 1997 national title? Probably. Uh, I will say this. None of it matters if they don't beat Iowa. And it'll all be forgotten if they don't beat Iowa. And I remember uh, a young... Asian man who called himself the Korean Cosell at one point was very oh. high on the Iowa Hawkeyes early in the season. And so, uh, you know, they, they got to beat Iowa or none of it matters. Jason, I, I think P.J. Fleck in Minnesota did a solid for Michigan and Jim Harbaugh because Wisconsin, in my view, was an ascending team. And if you're the Wolverines, you would much rather play this Iowa team than you would Wisconsin, who you already beat. And most coaches do not want to play the same team twice. And if you look at Michigan, I give them a lot of credit. Going back to the game plan, Jay, if you look at the first downs and the yards, relatively even with a great Ohio State offense. But when you rush for 297 yards like Michigan did and the other team doesn't even rush for 75, that throws everything out of kilter. And they did a great job, I believe, of telling McNamara, look, you're not going to throw the ball, but you're going to have about six or seven opportunities. You have to hit explosive chunk plays. And they ran a flea flicker. They ran some wheel routes. They were also very creative in the run game, running a misdirection end around. I thought it was a perfectly called game. And where I give Harbaugh credit is two times in the second half, Ohio State shortened the lead. They cut the lead to one touchdown. And I'm not going to lie to you. I said, "Uh uh-oh. Is Harbaugh going to get tight? Is he going to choke on his pleated khakis? But each time, they just ran their offense, blew them off the ball, took shots downfield. It's one of the best coach games of the year. And now I believe for Jim Harbaugh, that's his fourth 10-win season. He finally got over the hump. Now, people talk about, is the monkey off his back? No. Mighty Joe Young is off the shoulder. Now it's time to get rid of King Kong. And once he gets to the playoff as the number two seed, will Jason Whitlock say, wow, wow, Michigan has finally upgraded from Brady Hoke at the head coaching position. That's what America wants to know. Brady Hoke and the San Diego State Aztecs have a hell of a case for playing in this playoff. It was a fluky loss to Fresno State or they'd be 12-0 and 0 and right in the thick of this playoff hunt. I think what they did this past week to Boise State, uh, going to their number two quarterback, was incredible. Long live Brady Hoke, uh, one of the greatest college football coaches of all time. Uh, a, an Aztec through and through, clearly proving he doesn't need Michigan or Ann Arbor, or any of that mess in Ann Arbor to prove his greatness. Long live Brady Hoke. Uh, Thank you, Steve Kim. Uh, Go to YouTube.com slash Jason Whitlock. Uncle Jimmy and our approval rating on Lamar Jackson. Uncle Jimmy's here. Uh, time to uh, review the show and uh, do an approval rating on uh, Lamar Jackson. You took no notes? You got no notebook with you? You just got that extra pers- tight shirt on? That's- it, it, 
Look here, your shirt was extra tight this weekend. Don't act like I'm the only one that got a little tight yeah, in the midriff. The buttons are about to sue for uh, <laughs> abuse, man. What? Look, you got a <laughs> you got a bulletproof vest on underneath that. Hey, look, man, it was it was a good holiday. Okay, what should I say? It was a good holiday. Is that that's your little that's your younger son shirt, ain't it? Don't worry about it. It fits. This is Boy Scout shirt. <laughs> What am I looking at? Oh, I don't know what that was. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Look like some gravy went across the camera. <laughs> you got no, were you, did you take any notes? Do you have any thoughts on today's show? I got a lot of thoughts on today's show. Oh, what? First of all, yeah. we got a new sponsor. Yeah? Uh, what, what are they called? The sweat Block. Sweat Block. That's and why I can said, turn the heat up in there. They said, because that way I don't want to be embarrassed. Yeah. That's not why you use Sweat Blocker. You use sweat block in this studio so your ass don't get electrocuted. Look <laughs> all these cameras around here. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, I look. Anyway, it don't matter. I look. You, you should have called today's show. Yeah. No truth, no justice. No truth, no justice. Yeah, that works for sure. You know, I, I, I listen to you and Dave Shannon today, man, and I like Chocolate that. Knox. You know his nickname is Chocolate Knox. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I'm not responding to that. Yeah. Well, I would, I, I could believe that now that I think about it. Because normally, Dave is cool. Dave is low-key. I was questioning who's cooler, Dave Shannon or Delano. But I realized after today's show, I'm going to start calling Dave SBD. SBD. Silent but deadly. <laughs> you know, because we said that, remember last week, we were talking about Royce White. Yeah. We talking about uh, 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 Rashad McCants. We called them the enforcers, right? Yep. On today's show... Did Dave sit here and say, let me make this right. He said. Oh, you do got notes. He said, the word of God said, we got to kill some of these dudes, Jason. (laughs) (laughs) Wait a minute, wait a minute. Now, you got real nervous. You said, wait a minute, wait a minute, Dave. I'm 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 uh, anti-capital punishment. He looked at you and said. God said they got to die, Jason. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> Dave is officially about that life. He's about that life, man. <laughs> Speaking about that life, yeah. Steve Kim. The Korean Cosell, yeah. Hey, man, Steve Kim, I need to tell you, you just sir. jumped all over, Shamika. Are you saving the best for last? I'm going to wait and jump on Shamika last. <laughs> I'm going to do her later. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, Steve Kim, you were about to say? Yeah, and, and, and speaking of Steve Kim and Shamika, I need to tell you something, man. Steve Kim's not like me and Shamika. Is not like he, you and Steve Shemeika. Kim is not like me and Shamika. In what way? He don't need this money from you. <laughs> Why do you say that? Seriously, man, because did I not hear this dude early in the show today call you King Kong? Did he call me King Kong? Yeah, he called you King Kong, then he started quoting Dr. Seuss. <laughs> Talking about some green eggs and ham and Sam, Cam, and Dam? <laughs> Didn't he? He did. And then he used this analogy, and I wrote it down. He said that you starting to re- you starting to look like Stephen A. Smith on a Monday looking for Michael Irvin. Now, <laughs> damn it, if that don't sound like Don Lemon and Anderson Cooper, I don't know what the hell does. <laughs> I'm not touching that. I wouldn't uh, either. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Sh- did you get, did you, Shamika gave you a shout out. You heard about that, right? Yeah, me, me and Shamika, yeah, yeah. Then like I, told, like I said earlier, you heard me in, in, in the intro, man, I can't use, you get on me about cussing. Yeah. But I can't use but one word to describe Shamika. What's that? <laughs> you sit up here today and you say, oh, Shamika, I like the afro. That's not an afro, Jason. What it's is? called a hairdo. Well, I loved it. Well, let me tell you something. You, you can love it all you, but if you mess it up, it's $165 to fix it. <laughs> I just want you to know. Oh. And let me tell you something about Shamika, man. You know, Shamika told us, she lets it be known that she liked that chocolate, right? Yeah. She let it be known. It ain't no secret. You know what she really saying, right? What? Uh, She's telling you she wants some of that Jimmy stick. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man. What? This is a family show. She wants some of the Jimmy stick. Oh, <laughs> what is that? Toss me that. That looks like some good candy. <laughs> <laughs> what is, what is, what is a Jimmy It's Jimmy stick. I'm just, it's for Shamika. Leave it alone. Milk chocolate and peanut butter covered pretzels. Oh, yeah. man. I mean, it got a little cracker inside. <laughs> <laughs> 260 calories. Yeah, I can't, I don't... You see, it got the little white boy on the outside, too. Yeah. You know what Shamika would say. White people eat chocolate, too. (laughs) 
Hey, man, I we're love We're moving you. on. We're I love Shamika, man. Yeah, we're, we're moving on to uh, Lamar Jackson. Oh, that Four dude. interceptions last night. That dude. Uh, I noticed you got him and Cam mixed up. Yeah, yeah, I did briefly, very briefly. I said Cam threw four interceptions. He only threw two. But anyway. Must have been the hairdo. Go ahead. Uh, Lamar Jackson, the Ravens won last night, but, I mean, four interceptions based off – this isn't about his overall grade for the season. This is about what was his job performance. I had to give Lamar an eight in job performance. But he won the game. His team won the game. He won the game. His team won the game. Look here, man. Six black quarterbacks started yesterday. Is that right? And four of them lost. Is that- and he almost lost. <laughs> <laughs> who, it was who, a bad day for black quarterbacks yesterday. Cam, who else? Cam. Tyrod Taylor, didn't he start yeah. for Houston? Tyrod Taylor. Yeah. Lamar Jackson, he won. Okay. Teddy Bridgewater won. Yeah. Dak Prescott lost. Jalen Hurts lost. Uh, mm. yeah. And and I, they was trying to That's take t- they was trying to take Tunga, but y'all can't have Tunga. He he don't count. Tua, you mean? Yeah. Tua. Yeah, he don't count. He don't he, count we, we can't have him. He 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 ain't no uh, Kamala Harris. Uh, character. I'm high on uh, Lamar's character, always have been, cares about the game. That's what I care about. Uh, I got him at a 22. I gave him a five. In character? Yeah, because last night he was out of character. Last night he looked more like Cam Newton than he did looking like Lamar Jackson. Mm. That, was, that was out of character that's pretty the way good. he played last night. I, okay, that, that, that's pretty good. I, I can see your thinking on that. Authenticity. I think uh, Lamar keeps it pretty real. I gave him a 21 in authenticity. I gave him a 25. I gave him a 25 because Lamar Jackson is what I thought he was, a mediocre quarterback. (laughs) You think Lamar Jackson is a mediocre quarterback? What did I tell you three years ago? How did I describe that offense that he runs? (laughs) What did I tell you what? Kunta left, Kunta right. That's Kunta ball. That's it. I told you it's going to be a matter of time. The NFL is going to catch, on, catch up to him. You see what they did to Dak last year? Yeah. It, Out up to him and damn near snapped his leg off. Go ahead. Keep going. It factor. Uh, I've got uh, Cam, or not Lamar, at a 23. He's still probably the most exciting player in the NFL. I gave him a 10. He's kind of like raisins in potato salad. They just don't do it for me. <laughs> just they just don't do it for me, man. All right, so I have him at a grease fire of seventy-three. Uh, you a uh, seventy-four? I'm sorry. Is that right? Yeah, seventy-four. Mm-hmm. Yeah, seventy-four. Uh, and you have him candlelit at sixty-five. Candlelit, just like you know, uh, uh, just just like uh, some some lukewarm Jamil Hill armpits. <laughs> You ever seen the picture of her armpits, man, when she pitted out? Jamel Hill? Did I ever see it? Man, I got that. I'm going to show it tomorrow. You ever seen that? I took a picture of her when she had her show with her and Mike. Man, it was embarrassing. I mean, it looked, I, I thought that's where you was going when you was oh, talking about that. You know who that, you know who that happened to? Was, I saw it happen to Joy Reid. This was two or three years ago. I, I tweeted about it. They, put, they ended up putting a sweater on her during a commercial break. To cover, she was pitted out horrible. Well, but you know, I think a lot of it has to do with why you see a lot of black women when they be doing like this. <laughs> that way, that weave be getting hot and cutting off the circulation. <laughs> That's tomorrow. We'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> we'll see you tomorrow after. Looking like it's my time, feeling all kinds.
hands up for freedom.